Rich is going to be looking at when relationships go wrong and looking at this, and this involves all relationships. But we're on page... Um, no, you're back. I'm back. Over to you. Page 969 in the Blue Bibles. Um, so when uh, Jerry mentioned looking at relationships go wrong, this passage, just two verses I want to look at, really jumped out. And I'm going to read them and then give a bit of an introduction, and we'll get back to them later on in the talk. So it's verses 23 and 24 of Matthew 5. And so this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a very famous passage of Jesus' teaching in Matthew. It's kind of like his wisdom teaching that we find there. And he's just said the Beatitudes, and then he goes into lots of things about how disciples of Jesus should um, relate with one another. And in verses 23 and 24, Jesus says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. And so this morning we're going to be looking at what do we do when relationships go wrong. And as many of you probably do when you come up with a question, uh, I opened up Google and I typed in, what do we do when relationships go wrong? And I got thousands of results. I found out about anthropological perspectives on when relationships go wrong, sociological perspectives, psychological perspectives. I was overwhelmed with information. But what we're looking for here is not this morning is not just information on relationships and when they go wrong. We're looking for wisdom in what to do in those situations. And an old lecturer of mine said the difference between information and wisdom is that information tells you that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom says, but it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. And that's what we're getting at. This difference between just information about relationships to actually applied knowledge in a wise way into a situation. And so I thought, where should we start in terms of understanding why it matters when relationships don't go right, when they go wrong? And I think we need to begin with the fact that humanity have been made in the image of God. And so who is the God who we've been made in the image of? He is one who's revealed himself to us as one who lives in perfect relationship eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is perfect relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so at the core of his being is relationship. And if we understand God to be the grounds of all being, in saying that at the core of God's being is relationship, I'm saying that at the core of all reality is relationship. But there's another important point that comes from the fact that God was in perfect, is in perfect relationship eternally. When we think about the idea of creation. Because God was living in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect communion. He did not need to create His choice of creation was because he wanted relationship with us. He could have existed perfectly without us. And we're going to come back to why that is significant later. But then as human beings, we are ones made in the image of God. So we are made in the image of one who is perfect relationship. And so that starts to help us understand who we are as humanity. Now, in the 1600s, there was a philosopher called Descartes who wanted to try and work out how do we know anything about existence. And so he shut himself away in a cupboard. 
And when he came out of that cupboard, he came up with this phrase, I think, therefore I am. Basically, what he was saying is when I was shut away in the cupboard, I still thought, and therefore I knew I existed. I think, therefore I am. And this has heavily influenced the Enlightenment and then modernity and our culture now in postmodernity. And one of the major influences of Descartes' I think, therefore I am, is the fact that when we think about how do we understand who we are, we go and look inside ourselves. So you might have heard people say, I just need to go and find myself. And so we get this culture of very individualistic thinking. In order to understand who I am, I need to be separated off from everyone else, and I need to go inside of myself to discover who I am. And what I'm arguing, saying this morning is, that is completely counter a Christian understanding of reality. Now, our culture today has moved on slightly from this very rational, I think, therefore, I am, because we've been so influenced by consumerism and so influenced by what I would call the age of emotion. So today, you could say, I shop, therefore, I am. So think about how much our identity is filled up in what we wear, what we buy, the car we drive, the house we own. I shop, therefore, I am. Or you could say in this, the age of the emoji, I feel, therefore I am. I feel this and therefore this is my reality. And I respond to these Facebook posts with a crying face because I feel sad or a smiling face because I feel happy. Emotions are very dominant in our culture. But what I'm suggesting this morning is that from a Christian worldview perspective, the better phrase is I relate, therefore I am. Who we are is made up from the relationships that we have. So take me, for example. I am rich. I am husband to Kit. I am son of Beth and Stephen. I am brother of Emma. I am colleague of Phil. I am friend of Jerry. All of these different relationships inform who I am. At the center of that, I am son of my father in heaven. But my vertical and my horizontal relationships inform who I am. Are you with me? So therefore, when relationships go wrong, the reason that it's so serious is because it affects who we are as people. So when my relationship with someone is broken, a part of who I am is broken because I am no longer in a good relationship with them. So that is why, in terms of when someone dies, for example, it's so painful because a part of who you are, in a way, is dying with them. Because whilst you will still always be their son, daughter, husband, wife, um, friend, etc., you will never relate to someone in the exact way that you related to them. You will never be known as the daughter that you were to that person. And so when we die, part of who we are dies also. And so relationships are critical because they are at the core of, who, of reality in terms of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship, but also in terms of who we are as human beings and how we understand ourselves. And if we want to see both our own lives flourish but also our church community flourish, 
and society flourish. I think we need to look at how can we ensure that our relationships are healthy. Because it is from healthy relationships that we will see the flourishing of our own lives, the flourishing of our church community, and the flourishing of the society in which we are part. They are, relationships are vital to our own personal well-being, the well-being of our communities and our society. So, what do we do when relationships go wrong? I thought a good place to start would be looking at, well, what did God do when his relationship with humanity went wrong? What can we learn from God's actions to reconcile his relationship with humanity in terms of how we might then be reconcilers in our own relationships? And so we start out by saying that God took the initiative. Think about the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are shameful and they've hidden themselves off. They're hiding. God takes the initiative to find them. He goes into the garden and looks for them and and seeks them out. And throughout scripture, we continually see God taking the initiative to reconcile humanity to himself. The ultimate initiative act is Jesus taking on flesh. It is God humbling himself in such a way that he can then reconcile himself to us. And so he humbles himself. He takes the initiative and then he humbles himself. Not only by taking on flesh, but he humbles himself so much that he dies on a cross, the most shameful death. And he endures the depths of death. God in Christ experiences death. So he takes the initiative. He humbles himself. And in that, he becomes vulnerable with us. The God who we worship is a God of vulnerability. He opens himself up to the abuse of humanity. He opens himself up to humanity hating him, to humanity choosing to kill him. He is vulnerable with the one that he wants to reconcile to himself. But the reason that he is so vulnerable with the one he wants to reconcile to himself is because he is putting the needs of humanity before his own needs. Remember I said at the start that God lives in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally in perfect communion. And therefore he didn't need relationship with us. But he knew that we need relationship with him. And so he put our needs before his own needs. He puts our needs before his own needs in taking the initiative, in humbling himself, in becoming vulnerable before humanity. All because he loves us sacrificially. He gives his one and only son so that we can be restored to relationship with him. The relationship that tells us we are sons and daughters of our father in heaven. I want to share a story at this point, which is quite personal to me, but I think, it, I think it's important to share it. Um, in theology, when you think about the, the work of Jesus on the cross, so what has been achieved in the cross, the word that gets used is atonement. And you can break that da- word down to mean at one month. So through Jesus' death on the cross, at one month is achieved between God and humanity. But also, there is a sense in which at one month is achieved between humanity. 
because there are circumstances where we may be unable to reconcile a relationship with someone. My own personal experience, my, when my brother committed suicide, he committed a deep pain towards me. He hurt me deeply. And there is no way I can reconcile that relationship with him because he's not here. The depths of the cross tells me that my relationship with my brother is reconciled through Christ's death. There are some relationships that due to people dying, we cannot reconcile. Some of you, like me, may have experienced someone dying who you were on bad terms with. And the good news of the gospel this morning is that in Christ, we find reconciliation of those relationships. And I thought it was important to share that. But, our passage that we read earlier tells us that there are also relationships which we are called to reconcile ourselves. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.18, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So because of all we've talked about in terms of God reconciling him to our us to himself, he then says, now go and be reconcilers. And he says that so far that in Jesus' teaching, we see these people in verses 23 and 24, they're going to the temple to make their sacrifices. They're going to offer their worship to God. It's like they're going to church to worship God. But Jesus says, if you are going to worship God and you realize that you have a bad relationship that needs to be reconciled, Turn round right now and go and sort that relationship out. The health of our relationship with God is intrinsically linked to the health of our relationships with one another. Jesus sums up the law and all the prophets by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The vertical relationship with God is intrinsically linked to our horizontal relationships with one another. Why do we do the peace? We say, go and meet someone who you've not met before. And that's great, and it's good to go and meet people who we've not met before. But historically in the Anglican Church, the peace is there because it's from this passage. It's acknowledging that if we're going to worship God, we need to make peace with one another. And so they put it into the service so that if there was someone in your church community who you'd fallen out with, at that moment you would go and find them and say, I'm sorry. Or they would come and find you and say, I'm sorry. And there would be peace between each other. And then we would worship God. Now, it's good that we do it in the way that we do it, but I think it's interesting to know the history behind it because it highlights in Anglican theology the importance of the vertical and the horizontal relationship being intertwined. And so these are the great lengths that God went to to restore his relationship with humanity. How do we take what God has done and apply that to our own lives and our own relationships? What can we do to reconcile the relationships that have gone wrong in our lives? And when I'm talking about relationships, I'm not just meaning with loved ones. It may well be work relationships, friendships, in families, in marriages. All relationships have the potential to go wrong because we're all human beings. 
who fall out with one another. So what can we do to help them be made right? And I want to offer you seven quick steps to restoring relationships. My own little BuzzFeed article for you. Seven quick steps. And the first one is that we talk to God before talking to the person who has hurt us. The reason I think it's important that we start from a place of prayer is because when people hurt us, and I know I'm probably stirring up some wounds that are really quite painful, but when people hurt us, it hurts. It makes us angry. It makes us feel offended. But if we then just go from that place of anger, we are likely to snap back. And that's why I think it's vital we start from prayer, because in starting from prayer, we join in God's perspective on the situation. Because he doesn't just see it from our side of the conflict. He sees the situation from all sides. And I think in praying about the situation, we can start to share in God's love and compassion for the person who has hurt us. And therefore, when we come to engage with that person, we engage with them from a place um, of considering them and valuing them as better than ourselves, as Paul says in Philippians 2. That we don't just look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And that we have and share in the same mindset of Christ Jesus. So what do we do when relationships go wrong? One, we start from a place of prayer. Because also in starting from a place of prayer, it helps us to resist the temptation to gossip. It can be so easy when someone's hurt us to just immediately jump into, I can't believe what that person did. Did you know what they've done to me? I can't believe they did that to me. Have I told you about what happened to me last week and what this person said to me? It's just awful. I think they're a terrible person and they did that to me. Do you think they're a terrible person? <laughs> Gossip just provokes and grows unhealthy relationships. It increases unhealthy relationships. In praying about the situation, I think it helps us resist the temptation to gossip. Now, I'm not saying that means we don't seek out wise counsel in terms of how can I go about reconciling that relationship. But I think from the place of prayer, God's spirit will help us understand what does wise counsel look like rather than what does it look like to go and badmouth someone to someone else. And so then we come to the second point. So the first is start with prayer. The second is always take the initiative. And this is hard. I have been at work many times where I've snapped in a meeting because I'm tired. Where I've sent off an email in too harsh a tone that I should have gone and talked to the person about instead. Where I've said something on my lunch break which is actually gossip and I shouldn't have been gossiping about it. And I've got back to my seat at work and I've thought to myself, Rich, you shouldn't have said that. And you just get that nudge inside of you that's like, I should, go and, I should go and say sorry to that person. Or I should go and say I'm sorry for speaking out of turn. But you don't want to. Because all your pride jumps up and you're like, no, I look stupid. I hate admitting that I'm wrong. But that's the Spirit nudging me saying, no, go and be like Christ Jesus. Go and take the initiative. Think about Jesus on the beach in John 21. He's resurrected Peter, James, and John, who abandoned him to his death, are out fishing at sea. Jesus takes the initiative. He makes them breakfast, and he says, lads, come and have breakfast with me. Jesus took the initiative. 
to those who had deeply hurt and wronged him. He calls us to take the initiative as well, however hard that may be. But then the third point is to sympathize with their feelings, and this is related to praying for the person. Because there'll be things going on with that person who you're interacting with. There'll be reasons why they've treated you the way they've treated you. There will be, they, ha, they may well have done wrong. I'm not, dis, I'm not making small the things that they have done to us. But it's trying to go and interact with someone from a place of compassion and grace. So that when we share with them in truth and honesty, we're doing it in a way that is loving rather than seeking to hurt. Paul in Romans 12 talks about responding to evil with love. And that's what I'm trying to get at here in terms of how we go about restoring relationships. We pray, we take the initiative, and then third, we seek to sympathize with their feelings so that, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, we are kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, Christ God, Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it's all about how is our heart towards this person who has hurt us? Are we being stirring up bitterness and anger towards that person so that we can then go and take chunks out of them with our words? Or are we stirring up compassion towards this person who, yes, they've hurt us, but we know it is for their good and our good that our relationship is somehow reconciled through love and forgiveness? And so the fourth point builds on this and thinks about Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, verse 5, where he talks about the log and the speck. Next time you're walking in Bushy Park, go and pick up a log and then go and pick up a speck. They're wildly different in size. And Jesus says, look at the log in your own eye before you look in the speck in someone else's. He's challenging us to acknowledge that we may not be the completely innocent party in a situation of discord that we think we are. It's really easy to fall into the viewpoint of, I've done nothing wrong here at all. Now, you may not have done as much wrong as the person who's hurt you, but it's always worth considering what's going on with me first before then entering into a conversation of reconciliation with a person. And I meant to say earlier on when I said, take the initiative, go and talk to the person face to face. In our age of digital communication where you can send a text, you can send a WhatsApp message, you can send a message on Facebook, you can send an email, you could do it on Snapchat, through Instagram, every single possible form of communication you could ever dream of. But if I wrote a sentence to all of you in a text and then asked all of you, what did I mean by that sentence? You could easily give me a hundred different interpretations of that sentence depending on where you put the influence on various words that I said. Hard conversations are best had face to face. Our body language, our tone, everything about it informs how the conversation goes. So one, pray. Two, take the initiative. Three, sympathize with their feelings. Four, the log and the speck. Acknowledge any part you may have played. Five, attack the problem, not the person. The marriage course is great on this, at getting you and your spouse to think about the problem that you have out here so that your language comes to be talking about the problem rather than accusatory, accusatory statements at the person. Use the kind of language that says, when you did this, it made me feel like this, and this is the situation that we need to deal with over here, rather than, you are a horrible person. 
because you hurt me. So the difference in how we approach the conversation, I think, can then grow um, unity out of disunity. It's all about our heart attitude towards the person as we enter into the conversations that are likely to be very hard because it does hurt when someone destroys a relationship because of what I said about how much it informs of who we are. And so then, we seek to cooperate with the person as much as possible, to live at peace with everyone. And by this, I mean some relationships I have one that I can think of, and I don't want to share the details because it's too personal. The relationship with them broke down. Our relationship is now reconciled. I would say we live at peace with one another. If we were at a party together, we would be perfectly at peace with one another. But our relationship is not restored to the level that it was before we fell out. And that is just a reality of some breakdowns in relationships. I think what we're getting at here is seek reconciliation. That doesn't necessarily mean a restoring to what was before. Seek to live at peace with one another. But emphasize reconciliation because Matthew 5 verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We are called to image the one who lives in perfect relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, if we want to have a healthy relationship with God, we need to take seriously the health of our, our horizontal relationships with one another as well. Often when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we make the Holy Spirit one who pretty much ministers in terms of our vertical relationship. So the Holy Spirit is one who helps us in our relationship with God. And I think sometimes we can therefore fall into the trap of being very individualistic in how we view the Spirit's work. But Augustine talked about how the Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. He is the one who perfects the Father and the Son's relationship. And some of the holiest moments I have been privy to, the most Spirit-filled moments that I have been a part of, is when I have seen relationships reconciled in amazing ways. The Spirit's work is a work of reconciliation. Yes, of reconciling us and enabling us to call out Abba, Father. But also of reconciling us to one another. And that's where I think he is leading us this morning. To this place of taking seriously the Spirit's work of helping us in restoring and reconciling our relationships with one another. Because if we want to have a healthy relationship with God, we need to be seeking healthy relationships with one another. If we are encountering the Holy Spirit, if we are having an amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit, but living in terrible relationship with one another, I challenge us, to what extent are we encountering Holy Spirit? The Spirit who reconciles. The Spirit who makes right. And so I'd like to invite the band up. Here they come. Because I think our response needs to be around this idea of restored relationships between one another. Now this doesn't mean that I'm going to ask you to go around the room and find all the people who have offended you in this room and ask for forgiveness or say to them, you've hurt me. I think that would be a bit intense for 12.26 on a Sunday morning. 
But I am going to ask the Spirit to raise our awareness of where there may be relationships in our lives that need reconciling. And so if you could, if you're able, stand with me. I have some questions that I'd, I'd like to, to pose to you, and I'm going to ask the, the Spirit to be nudging us as I ask these questions. And I would strongly recommend that if there are people who come to mind as I ask these questions, that you wouldn't ignore the Spirit's nudging this morning. That you would take the initiative off the back of the Spirit's guiding to reach out to that person. But I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit, as you raise up potential people that we need to be reconciled with, may you do it in a way that is gracious. May you do it in a way that is compassionate. May you do it in your uniquely gentle, comforting way. Because I wonder if if there's someone in your life who's hurt you. And the Spirit might be this morning nudging you to take the initiative in seeking a reconciliation in that relationship. Holy Spirit, I pray you would enable us to take that initiative. Or you may have hurt someone. You've just shunned them from your life. You've given them the cold shoulder. And if the Spirit is raising up a name of someone you've hurt, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us the courage and the vulnerability to go and ask for their forgiveness. Or finally, you may have been hurt by the church community. You may be thinking, do you know what, God? I'm happy just me and you. I just need me and you. I don't need the church. I don't need all those people. They've just hurt me too many times. And I would pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would help those people see how they could still be part of your body this morning. Help us to be vulnerable and open to being part of your community of followers in relationship with your community as well as in relationship with you. So if there's anyone um, who's involved in prayer ministry, and whilst we go into a time of worship, I would love to encourage you, if if there is someone who has been raised up into your mind as I've been uh, chatting or as we've been praying now, um, that you would be brave um, to respond for someone to pray with you. Um, So there'll be people down the front who you can pray with. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. So yeah, if I can invite the prayer minister.